Matthew chapter 28. Hey, uh, I've been gone for, for the last three weeks, so it's good to be back here with you guys on uh, Easter. Happy Resurrection Day. Uh, it's great to be back. I was in Israel, if you didn't know. I took a group from our church and a group from Morgantown, and we traveled over to Israel for a couple of weeks. And I can assure you the tomb is still empty. <laughs> we, we went in, and we got to see at least the approximate location of where the tomb would have been, and it, it, it's still empty. He's still risen. He's not there. So praise the Lord for that. You know, every year, every Resurrection Day or Empty Tomb Day, as a pastor, you, there's a tendency in your, in your preparation to say, well, how can I make this different than last year? How can I make it more appealing? Or how can I make it more entertaining in a, in a sense? And every year I get the same answer from the Lord, just teach what I wrote. You don't have to make it entertaining. It already is powerful enough. You don't have to relate it in any special way. Just relate it to the way that those in that day lived it out. So that's going to be my goal here this morning, is I want you to kind of see it from their perspective. On last Thursday, we looked at Jesus' betrayal. We saw his death and his burial, and we considered it from the view that the apostles would have had and the ladies would have had. But we also considered it from what it cost him. He went to the cross, and it cost him something. Our salvation is free, but it wasn't cheap, I said. You see, the salvation that we enjoy, the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've given him your life to him, you have the hope of eternal life. That means at some point in the future, you're going to pass from death into life, and the payment that was made for that was not cheap. It cost him everything. And we studied that on Thursday. If you missed it, I would encourage you to go back and look. We looked at Matthew chapter 26 and 27, and it told us of the struggles in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus said, is there any other way? Can I save mankind? Can I reconcile mankind in any other way? Is there any way that I can bring that relationship back? And if there were, he said, can this cup pass me by? But there wasn't. There was no other way. So he said, nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. We saw that struggle. We saw that he was put on trial before the religious leaders. He was convicted of blasphemy. He was sentenced to death by Pontius Pilate. He was scourged, mocked, and hung on a cross where he gave up his life. No one took it. He gave it up willingly. And after his death, our Lord was laid in an empty tomb. It was an unused tomb. A large stone was rolled in front of the opening. The stone was sealed, and the Roman guards were placed at the tomb to guard it. They wanted to make sure there were no lies, no funny business, if you will. No one was going to steal him away and say that he rose from the dead. Why would you need to guard a tomb? Why would that even be necessary? You see, the Jewish leaders knew that Jesus had said. He had said to them, in three days, I'm going to rise again. They were aware of that prediction or that prophecy. He said, I will rise. And they were worried. They were worried that the disciples would sneak over in the middle of the night. They would roll the stone away and they would steal his body. Then they would tell everybody he rose from the dead when in fact he was still dead. And they said the, decept the last deception would be worse than the first deception. Kind of a sad perspective on life. If this were to happen, if they were to guard the tomb and they were to mark the tomb, which they did with the sealets, and he was to rise again, wouldn't you think that would be enough proof for them? But instead, they didn't want the truth. They only wanted what they wanted to believe. They didn't want their lives shaken up in that way. I find it interesting they knew about the resurrection. They anticipated the resurrection so much so they put the Roman guard to keep it from happening. But yet it still happened. The lives of the disciples, as he was put into the tomb, were shattered. 
They'd spent the last three years following Christ, following their rabbi, their Messiah, their Savior. They'd spent the last three years thinking that he was going to come into power and, and, and free Israel from the Roman rule. They had an argument about who was, they argued about who was going to be the greatest when, they finally, when this finally happened. One, a couple of their mo- one of their moms got together and said, hey, Jesus, can you help my kids get a little farther in the kingdom? There was, there was what they expected. It, it wasn't, their, their, their life wasn't going like they had it planned. Ever happened to you? Yeah. We have our life planned out. We want it to go a certain direction. It doesn't always go that way. Their life was shattered right now. Can you imagine as they laid him in the tomb, they went back to wherever they went. They gathered. Not only are they in fear for their own life, they're trying to figure out what's going on. They're running through their head. What did he say? What happened? And they don't see it. It's not there for them. They believed he was the Messiah. They'd invested everything. And now they thought he was dead, lying in a tomb. And he was. But some of the ladies, some of the women that were there, they still wanted to honor Jesus. So they set off early in the morning to go to the tomb. Let's pick up in Matthew chapter 28 as we study together this morning. We're picking up in verse 1. It says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Remember, the Jewish Sabbath is on what day? Saturday. It begins Friday at sundown. It starts and it runs all day Saturday till sundown. Very early in the morning, it says they're before dawn. They had probably been waiting for the Sabbath to pass. They could make the journey outside of the city to the tomb. They'd been waiting for the ability. They could only walk a certain distance on the Sabbath. Even today when you go to Israel, there are certain markings in certain places where you can't pass this distance because you've walked too far on the Sabbath day. They're waiting for this. So here it comes, early in the morning. In other words, the Sabbath ended the night before, but they had to wait until the sun was starting to come up. They had to have some light so they could see where they're going. So early in the morning, now Matthew 27, previously verse 61, had told us these women had witnessed, they saw Joseph and Nicodemus wrapping Jesus' body and anointing it with spices and cloth. And they had obviously, these women have secured their own spices and they want to go to the tomb and they want to personally anoint the body of Christ. Now think about this logic for a minute. How long has he been there? Three days. What happens to a body after it's been laying there for three days? The tomb's been sealed up. It's been, the rock's been there. What do you think they expect to encounter when they get there? Whoo! Yeah, that's the way that it works. But you see, both of these women, along with some others, had ministered to Christ. So Jesus, when he was up in the area of Galilee, Mary Magdalene was from Magdala. It's a little fishing village. It's, they've uncovered it. You can go there. It's an amazing archaeological site. They have a first century synagogue there in Magdala. We just visited it two weeks ago where Jesus would have taught, and they confirmed it by the coins they found. It's an amazing place. You can actually see right where he would have stood and right in the area that he would have been standing in. But Mark 16 tells us these women were on the way to the tomb, but they had a problem. There was an issue that they didn't know how to solve. There was something they knew they were going to encounter. They didn't know what to do about it. Do you remember what their problem was? They wondered, who's going to roll away the stone? You see, it's a big stone. We saw a replica of it. It's huge. It's, it's a big round stone that would roll in front of the tomb. And they, these women weren't capable of rolling it away. Who's going to roll away the, 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 the stone from the door so we can get into the tomb? That's their problem as they're talking. They're on their way. You ever faced a problem you didn't understand in life? You ever saw something coming, you anticipated, you expected it, but then you're limited to your own ability to try to solve it. It's not that way with the believer. You see, we have the Lord on our side. 
He can do things beyond, beyond what's normal. He can make things happen miraculously or supernaturally. They're going with this problem. They're not sure what they're going to do. Maybe your problem can be too big for you to move. Maybe it can do big, be too big for you to get around. What if they had just quit? What if talking on the way, Mary says, you know, listen, guys, the tomb, the stone's there. We can't move it. I've heard they put guards there. The guards certainly aren't going to help us. Maybe we should just go back home. This is a bad idea. No, no let's just go back home and, and, and give this up. You ever done that with your problem? The Lord's leading you in a direction, and you, and you look at the circumstances, you look at it logically, you look at it based on your own abilities and your own, your own strength, and you go, I can't do that. The Lord says, I can, and I can empower you to do that. I can empower you to move that stone. I can move that stone for, for you. I can do it a number of different ways, but in our little finite mind, we go, that's impossible. It's just not going to happen. The Lord says, I can do it. What if they had gone back home? But they didn't. They just wanted to be where Jesus was. They just wanted to draw close. They wanted to be there. They wanted to pay some final respect, some final honor to him by anointing his body one more time. And they pressed on. They didn't give up. They didn't go home. If they had turned back because of their lack of understanding, they would have missed seeing the empty tomb. They would have missed the miracle. They, we wouldn't be reading about them this morning. And for 2,000 years, we've been reading about them and talking about them in churches all over the world. But they would have missed that opportunity. Instead, they pressed closer. They didn't know how they were going to get. They were going to get as close as they could. And they were going to rely on him to take the barrier if there was one out of the way. Sometimes there's some things that block us from drawing closer to the Lord, isn't there? He'll handle that if you'll let him. You just keep pressing closer. People get saved. When I get a chance to lead someone to Christ, they say to me, what do I do now? I said, press close to the Lord. Well, what do I have to quit? Don't quit anything. Just keep drawing close to God. Let him work in your life. Let him tell you what you need to change. Let, him, let the Holy Spirit convict you of those changes. Far better than you could do if I gave you a list of things that good Christians don't do. Let him be the one that does that. So in faith, they came to the tomb in spite of their problem, believing somebody would be there to help them. Unknown, but their heart, they just wanted to be close to the Lord. They wanted to honor him one last time. So what do they find when they arrive at the tomb? Look at verses 2 through 8. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning. His clothing was as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, in other words, as he said, like as he told you, he says, Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to bring his disciples word. Consider this sequence of events. A problem in a desire to honor the Lord. An earthquake. An angel descending. An angel rolling back the stone. Problem solved, by the way. Because that's what they were worried about. The angel brought comfort to the women who were afraid. 
comforted them, gave them information about what was going on. He told them what was happening. He gave them a promise, you will see him. And then he gave them instruction. Go tell the brethren. Go tell the apostles. We've already looked at the problem with the stone. We already saw that was solved very quickly and very easily, even though it wasn't in their ability. Their problem, who's going to roll the stone away? Isn't it amazing how quickly the plan, our plans, our problems can be handled in the hands of the Lord? I wonder if they wondered, worried about that stone the whole way there. I wonder how much they were concerned with it. I wonder if they tried to recruit people along the way. Lord, can, can, hey, will you help us move the stone? No, I ain't going to that tomb. There's Roman guards there. No, come on, help us. We just need some help. What if they went to the disciples? They said, will you help us roll this? No, we're not going. He's dead. Forget it, Mary. We're done. It's over. Forget it. We're going back to fishing. I wonder how many people said no, they won't, wouldn't go with them. If they asked anyone at all, we're not told that. And there's an earthquake. The earth is quaking. Matthew is the only one who writes about this great earthquake. And I don't believe the earthquake caused the stone to be rolled away. If anything, the angels rolling the stone away caused the earthquake, in my opinion. But it's the second supernaturally caused earthquake in just a few short days. The first one was in connection with Jesus' death. Do you remember it? The moment of his death and in conjunction, again, here we see another one with the resurrection. But what happened as the earthquake? Look there in verse 2. The angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. I like this. As they walked to the tomb, the women with their problem, this heavy stone, and upon their arrival, they find the door wide open. They find their problem solved, still not realizing what's going on. It's important for us to ask the question, why did the angel roll away the stone? Why? Was it so that Jesus could get out? No, that's not the reason. He wasn't in there banging on the door saying, would you let me out of here? You know, hey, hey, come on, angels, come on, come on down. you got to get, remember that little thing on TV? Would you let me out of here? Little box that used to shake. Now, that's not what it was at all. He didn't roll the stone away to let Jesus out, like so many stories and paintings depict. We know that Jesus had the power to overcome death. He did, and he certainly had the relatively minor power to escape a sealed grave, because we saw in his resurrected body later, we'll see that he walks through doors. After his resurrection, he showed us that he had he, was, he wasn't underneath the physical limitations of time or gravity or mass or anything like that. He probably left the tomb before the stone was rolled away, to be honest with you, but we don't know that for sure. Then why roll it away at all? The angel moved the stone not to let Jesus out, but so the women could see in. So the apostles, when they got there, so they could see in. So we could look back through the pages of Scripture and say, it's empty, through the testimony of others. Do you realize that Christianity is the one religion where our Savior is alive? The man we follow is not dead. Where's Buddha? In the grave. Where's Muhammad? In the grave. Where's Joseph Smith? In the grave. Jesus is alive. He's not in a grave somewhere. One commentator said this about the stone. He said the stone that enclosed the body of Jesus in the tomb had been like the gate of a prison cell. Trapping the body of Jesus in the grave, now it became a place of rest as the angel sat on it. What once was their biggest problem, their biggest concern as they headed out to the tomb that morning was the stone. 
It was the thing in their life that was separating them from getting closer to the Lord, and now it became a place of rest for an angel just to push it out of the way and sit on it. I wonder, in our life, sometimes our biggest problems can become a place of rest for us if you'll just let the Lord handle them. Sometimes there's a stone in your life. There's a thing in your life that's keeping you from drawing closer to the Lord, and it needs to be moved out of the way. And you're concerned with it. You're focused on it. It's an addiction, perhaps. It's a bad attitude. It's, it's some form of sin in your life that's keeping you from drawing closer. You know, that can become a place of rest for you. If you'll just allow the Lord to move it out of your way, you can sit on it and remember what the Lord did. You see, they didn't understand how the stone was going to get pushed out of the way. But all the while, the Lord knew well, exactly what was going to happen. And when they get there, can you just imagine their shock as the stone's pulled away, the angel's sitting there with his feet crossed and probably laying back comfortably, and the Roman soldiers, where are they? Flat on the ground. They're scratching their heads trying to figure out. But what do you think this angel looked like? It tells us there in verse 3. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. Lightning. You ever see lightning up close? How, how, how close have you been to lightning? Hopefully you've never been struck by lightning. I had lightning strike one time about 30 feet from me. Hit a tree. Blew the bark off the tree. Split the tree. Scary. Scary stuff. I would be the same way they are. If, the, if I saw an angel whose countenance was like lightning, I was standing on my deck in my backyard with the power cord in my hand. I was getting ready to plug in a, a, a charcoal lighter, an electric charcoal lighter, and it was kind of stormy. And I saw the lightning come across. The, I saw it coming right towards me. And literally about 30 feet off my deck, it hit a tree, and all the bark went boom and just fell off the tree. And the tree split, and part of it fell. Limbs started to come crashing down. I was scared to death. I dropped the power cord and ran inside. <laughs> I'm done. No more barbecuing today. We're all done. But can you imagine if someone with that presence was sitting before you? They're scared to death. I've never seen an angel, but if I did, I'd be just like they were, especially if that's the way that they're manifesting themselves. So what's going on with the Roman guards? Verse 4, the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The guards were so awestruck, they were shaking with fear. The word for shook, it's, the same, it's, it's from the same Greek term that we get the root word for earthquake up there in verse 2. Same, same connection there. It means they quaked. Like the earth was quaking, they were quaking. They were literally shook with fear. Their bodies and their minds were shaking. They were physically shaking. And after they were shaking, it says what? They became like dead men. Like dead men. That means they were literally paralyzed with fear. I just see them falling over. On the ground. Shaking and, and just dead men. Not, not even moving. Paralyzed by what they saw. The, the wording there indicates they became rigid and unconscious. Just... They didn't, you know, the scripture doesn't tell us that the women were worried about the soldiers. But perhaps they were and how they would treat them. But God just took that right out of the picture. Stone, no problem. Soldiers, no problem. Come on in, ladies. And there's the angel sitting there on top of the stone that had brought so much concern to them. The mere presence of the angel put these mighty soldiers in this state. The mere presence. Just the fact that they were there. Adam Clark said this, he said, The resurrection of Christ is a subject of terror to the servants of sin and a subject of consolation to the sons of God. Because it is a proof of the resurrection of both, the one to shame and everlasting contempt, the other to eternal glory 
and joy because only one group of people were comforted. The soldiers weren't comforted by the angels. They were like dead men shaking. But the women, what did the angel say to them? There in verse 5, the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. For I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen. As he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay. They didn't expect to find the grave empty. They didn't expect to find the angel sitting there on the, on the stone. But the angel met them, and it says he comforted them. He said, do not be afraid. How do you think he said it? With like words of lightning? Or do you think he said it calmly? A, a soft word. A soft word will settle somebody down. The Bible says a soft word turns away wrath. So if you have someone's angry at you, try speaking quietly. And if you don't believe that works, I would suggest you try it someday. Because if, you can, if someone's mad and raising their voice at you and you talk quietly, they'll come right back down. You can, you, can, I, it, you can do it the other way too. You can have fun with it and raise them up or lower them down. I've done it. I, 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 as, as a police officer, we had this thing that we had to do. For, it was called verbal judo. And, you got to, and we actually, I've tried it many times. I can get someone excited and upset and I can just bring them right back down all by the way of my tone of voice and what I'm saying. And it works for you guys too. But the angel, I think he said it with a very loving, don't be afraid. Just relax. It's okay. He's not here. He's risen. Why don't you come on in and see? He's. I know why you're here. I know why you're here. You came to see the body of Jesus. You want to put spices on him. And you want to mourn the loss of your, of your friend. But he, come on, he's not here. He's risen. It still didn't click for them. They, st they still don't think they have it. Notice the words he said after he said he is risen. He reminds them as he said. As he said. As they were trying to figure it out, the angel says, listen. Didn't, I, didn't he tell you when he was here he was going to rise again on the third day? Didn't he, didn't he give you that? He said, that destroy this temple and again, I, and on the third day I will build it up again. Didn't he say these things? And Luke tells us that they remembered his words. They remembered what he said. And the angel comforts them. He explains to them what's going on. He said, come on in. Come on in the tomb. Let's take a look around. And the women go into the tomb, still probably not fully understanding what's going on. They observed that it was indeed empty. And according to Mark's gospel, the angel again says, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. Can you imagine that? The women stuck with them to the end. They saw the crucifixion. They saw the body anointed. They saw the stone rolled in front, of the, in front of the grave. And now they're standing in the empty tomb. And the angel, we're told there's two angels at this point. There he is. This is where he laid. He's not there. His cloth, the, the cloth they wrapped him in still there. The head cloth moved off to the side, other, other gospels tell us. The exact location. The rock is probably stained with blood. It, the clothes are probably stained with blood. Well, they would have wrapped his bloody body in. There it is as they're standing there. Don't be amazed. He's risen. Perhaps it was repeated because they found it so hard to believe. And while they're standing there in the tomb, John also tells us another angel was present. The second angel had joined them. They had one on the right and one on the left. Where else have we seen that in Scripture? One on the right and one on the left. At the Ark of the Covenant, on top of the Ark of the Covenant sat the mercy seat. And it was overshadowed by two angels, one on the right and one on the left. And once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle what? Blood. 
blood on the, on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of Israel. Just like the blood of the lamb that would be sprinkled on the mercy seat for the forgiveness of sins, the blood of Christ stained the stone which the angels now surrounded. By the sacrifice Christ had just made, Jesus became the true and eternal mercy seat for all of, man, all of sinful mankind. He became that mercy seat. There it is, right there in the tomb. It's important that these ladies looked into that tomb. It's important that we look into that tomb through their eyes. It shows us a couple of things. Number one, when we see the place where they laid him, when they saw the place where they laid him, we find the evidence that says the father did not forsake him. The father did not forsake him because he's risen. He's not there. When we see the place where they laid him, we see that death is conquered and he is risen. You see, as Christians, we can be certain that death is conquered. It doesn't mean you won't die. It doesn't mean you won't endure a process of death because after all, that's what we fear, isn't it? It's the process we're going to get there. As a believer, I, when, I, when I pass away, I'm going to be with the Lord. I, I fully uh, believe that. And I don't have to worry or doubt that. But I'm a little concerned with how I'm going to meet him. I prefer something quick and in my sleep, Lord. That's not always the way it works, is it? But you know what? During that final process, the Lord will walk with you or with any other believer and use that up till the very end. I had the, and I'm going to say blessed privilege to watch my mother go through cancer. And I had eight, we, fat, we had eight weeks with her after we, she was diagnosed with cancer. And during those eight weeks, five of them were really good. The last three were really rough. But during those five good weeks, she accomplished much. I watched as a relatively quiet woman who was humble and, and really afraid to say much to too many people, shared Christ with every person that came into her house. Every physical therapist, every nurse, every person that came in, she would talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. She had nothing to lose anymore. She planted seeds. And each day her health declined a little more and I, I would always ask her how she's doing and you know, she, she had this little saying she would say. She would say this, she'd, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds it. I thought, wow, how profound is that? And she did for, at the end of eight weeks, she went to be with the Lord. But I got to watch her do that faithfully. It wasn't death. I know from the moment she died, she went on to be with the Lord because Christ had conquered death. And that empty tomb proves that. When we see the empty tomb, we also see that Christ is alive. And the one that we worship is not laying in a tomb. You see, when you go visit the tomb in Israel, whether it be in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre or whether it be the Garden Tomb, you know what they both have in common? They're empty. They're empty. He's not there. That means your friend, your Savior, is alive. So after comforting them and assuring them, the Lord has risen. Look at the instructions and the promise he gave them in verse 7. He said, go quickly. Tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. They are the first messengers of the gospel. What, are they, what, what news are they bringing? He's risen. He's alive. They're carrying the first gospel message. These women who publicly watched his crucifixion and his burial, now they're given the opportunity to preach the first gospel message. Gospel, the word means good news. He's alive. Quick, go tell his disciples. They need to hear this. They need to understand this. But why did he choose the women? 
Why didn't he just, what, what, what happened? You know, why is it the women? Why didn't he go to the disciples first? Why didn't he go to, how come they got to be first? Well, there's a whole bunch of speculation on that. One commentator uh, suggests it's because God chose the weak to confound the strong. Another suggests the women were rewarded for their faithful service to the Lord because they serviced and ministered to him in Galilee. Another one said because death became, death came by a woman in the Garden of Eden, so new life was first announced to a woman in a garden. Others propose that it's because the deepest sorrow deserves the deepest joy or that supreme love deserves supreme privilege. Truth be, col- truth be told, the scriptures don't really give us an explanation on why he chose the women. I like to think of it simply. It could be because they were the only ones that went to the tomb that morning. Everybody else stayed in bed. Everybody else stayed home. Everybody else was afraid to go out in public. They were the only ones that were there, so that's who the empty tomb was revealed to. We don't know the exact thing. But can you imagine if they had left their problem of the stone, if they had taken their worry about the guards and not gone that morning? Can you imagine what they would have missed out on? the miraculous thing they would have missed out on. It works the same way in your life. When the Lord says move or go in a certain direction, do something, and you go, I can't see how, I, I can't afford that. I, can't, I don't have the ability to do that. I don't have the knowledge. I'm not smart enough to do that. Oh, you see, that's where he likes to work. That's where he wants to work. He goes, you're right, you don't. He goes, but I can, and I do. And then when, you, when I've done it through you, I want you to give me the glory for it. It's not you. They told us when we started a church, we couldn't start a church without a worship leader. It's been almost 10 years. We still don't have a worship leader. But yet the church is continuing to grow. Why? Because the Lord's growing the church. Someone asked me recently, what do you do to grow your church? I said, I don't grow my church, and it's not my church. It's his church. Well, what do you do special? I don't do anything. I I just teach the word. That's what the Lord called me to do. Well, why are people coming? I don't know. You'll have to ask them because they want to hear the word taught. It's real simple. It you know, the church is not a, it's not a multi-level marketing scheme that we have to advance. God says he will add to the people of the church as he sees fit. And our church here at Calvary Chapel will be as big or as small as he wants it to be. It's not my concern or my problem. It's his concern. Although, if we continue, we're going to need to find a new place to meet. That's slowly becoming my problem or his concern. But you know what that does? That just gives me a chance to seek him and say, Lord, what do you want to do next? Because I don't know what to do. Lord, you lead, you guide, and then you can have the glory for it because I can't figure it out. And that's a great place to be. Don't miss the promise there they're given. They said this, you will see him. He's, just think, they're at the empty tomb. The slab's empty, and the angel says, you're going to see him. When? I want to see him now. Where is he? But he says, gives him the instructions there. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And indeed, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. They go on up to the Galilee, about 70 miles north of Jerusalem. They go up to the Galilee region. And and it's it's a lake area. It's it's not a huge lake, but it's a big lake area. There's little cities all around, little villages all around the lake. He's up in that region. Go up there. And it says the women were filled with fear and great joy. Those two don't usually go together, do they? Fear and great joy. How can I be joyful in my fear? Because the Lord's working. Because they're carrying the gospel message. They don't know if people are going to believe them, but they're also joyful because they've just seen an angel sitting on a rock and all their problems are taken care of. Go take the message. Go tell the disciples. Look at verse 8. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' 
word. They went out quickly with fear and great joy. The women went in obedience. What if they hadn't gone? I like the fact that they were running. They were running. This was joy. This was excitement. We can't wait. Sometimes we move in obedience at a snail's pace. All right, Lord, I'm going to go one step at a time. Not these ladies. They're running full speed ahead. They had a mission, clear instructions. They had a promise. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, saints running in the way of obedience are likely to be met by Jesus. Some Christians travel to heaven so slowly they are overtaken by follies or by faults, by slumber or by Satan. But he who is Christ's running footman shall meet his master while he is speeding on his way. They're running in obedience. Not dilly-dallying, not stopping for breakfast, not getting a cup of coffee. I got a work, I got a mission, I got a plan. While running in obedience, these women met Jesus. Look at verse 9. And they went to tell his disciples, behold, and they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and they held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Upon meeting Jesus, what did they do? They fell to his feet and worshiped. They worshiped. They fell to his feet and worshiped. Isn't that the same thing that happens to us when we really get saved? Isn't that what creates a heart of worship in you? You see, you can't, you can't create, a, you, you can sing a song, and you can force yourself to sing, but you can't force yourself to worship. Worship comes out of your heart because you've met him, because you've seen him. You, we can all get together and sing. We can sound good in a choir. But true worship is from the heart, and it comes from an experience with Jesus. You can't truly worship until you've seen him, and you've met him, and he's touched your life, and he's rolled away the stones, and he's built your faith, and, he, and you've had that encounter with him. That's what brings a heart of worship, and you know you can see it on somebody's face. Some people worship quietly. Not everybody is as dramatic. Some people just, they, they close their eyes, they'll put their hands in their pockets, and they're worshiping, but you can see it on their face. Other people put their hands in their arms in the air and they're, they're worshiping more outwardly, but you can see it on their face. You see, but that can't be created. You can't manifest that. Worship is a response of what the Lord has done in you and through you and you running into and you having contact with him. Jesus received the worship of these ladies. If he wasn't God, it would be blasphemy for him to receive their worship. But he is the son of God. It was good and appropriate for him to receive it. And he again, he affirms their instructions. What's he say? I like the way he puts it. He says, go tell my brethren. Go tell my brethren. Go tell my brothers. Can you believe he used the word brethren? Can you, can, they all ran away. They deserted him. If, if this were me, I'd have said, you go tell those traitors that I'll meet them in Galilee. You go tell those, you know, you go tell those losers you go tell the, you know, I'm supposed to be starting a church here. How can I use these guys? They won't even stick with me for one night. You go tell those unfaithful, unloyal men. You go, 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 I got to straighten them out. That would probably be a lot of our hearts. It's not what Jesus said. He says, go tell the brethren. I'm going to meet them in Galilee. Go tell them. I know they've been unfaithful. I know they've been unloyal. I know they took off. I know they've been unappreciative. We've done that too, haven't we? We've been that way. We've been unfaithful. We've been unloyal. We've been unappreciative. 
Oh, when it comes to my life, I want to hear the word brethren. When it comes to your life, I want to see you get straightened out. <laughs> it's a good thing I'm not God, right? <laughs> Jesus says, go tell my brethren. Go tell my brothers that I'll meet them in Galilee. He would say the same thing to many of us this morning. If you've been away from the Lord, if you've had a bad week, if you've had a bad month, if you've had a bad decade, and you said, oh, I've walked far from the Lord. I don't even want anything to do with the Lord. And he says, I'll, I'll meet you. I'll meet you. Will you meet me in the words of Scripture? Will you meet me in church? Will you meet me? I want to reveal myself to you so you can worship me. I want to roll the stone away from your heart. I want to put it out of the way. I want to, I want to draw you closer to me. Just come. Let, don't worry about the obstacles. Let me handle that. I've got angels I can call down. I could, don't worry about the guards or the people or the things in your life that are getting in your way. Just, just come closer to me. Draw close. See, that's what he's doing here. Now, those of us that know the rest of the story know he will go on to reveal himself to his disciples. He's going to go on to show himself to Peter, who was the one who cut off Malchus's ear and denied even knowing him. He's going to go on to restore his relationship with them. He's in the business of restoring relationship. That's why he went to the cross. He wants to restore our relationship. So as we take a look at this resurrection day scripture this passage it's only fitting that we ask ourselves where are we at with the lord this morning where are you at has it been a while since you've been at the feet of jesus worshiping maybe you've never been there at all is there is there things in your life is there rocks and soldiers that you don't see how you're going to get around draw close to the lord is there is there is there a problem where you go you know what i've got this thing in my life it's called sin i've done a lot of bad things I've made a lot of mistakes. I've, you don't understand what I've done wrong. You, listen, you can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. Paul, the Apostle Paul, persecuted the church, murdered Christians, forgiven. He understood grace. The more you've done wrong, the more grace, the more understanding you'll have of grace and mercy. You see, the more that you know what you deserve, the more you can say, oh, let me tell you what the Lord forgave me of. Let me tell you how good the Lord is. So as we look at a passage in scripture not only this morning but every time we read we have to go what does it mean for me and i think this morning kind of the common theme through here is what's getting in your way of your relationship with the lord you see you can be saved and give your life to christ and still have things getting in the way will you just draw close to him and let him move them out of the way or perhaps you're going i've never i've never given my life to christ i don't even really know what you're talking about and every time i go to church i just sing a song it's not really I, I, I see people worshiping, but I really don't have that. Well, we can change that too. It's just a matter of committing your life to Christ, believing that he died on the cross for your sins. It's real simple. And, and it, it's not just a prayer that you pray one time. It's a prayer. It's now a life that you begin to live for the rest of your life. You see, there's lots of people that come to Christ and they never finish. They never hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Now enter into your rest. The apostle Paul said, I have finished the race that has been set before me. I've finished what God has given me to do. So as we're going to close here, I want to just take a few minutes. And I want you to go quietly before the Lord in prayer. And I want you to decide, where am I at with the Lord this morning? Is there a stone that needs to be rolled out of the way? Draw close to him and watch what he does. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I'm going to ask you to just ask him to forgive you for your sins and come into your life. It's between you and him. It doesn't have to be me, me involved. It can be you and him. It's, it's your heart connecting with his. If I get a chance to be part of it, I'd love you to come tell me afterwards. But it's between you 
in him. You don't have to come up front. You don't have to, but I do want you to tell the person next to you. Just, hey, I gave my life to Christ this morning. I want you to tell at least one person because we're told that we have to confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts. So let's just take a moment, go before the Lord wherever you're at, just about two or three minutes quietly in prayer. No one's going to pray out loud and I'll come back up and I'll close the service in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. Lord, without your word, we wouldn't know the tomb was empty. But Lord, there's also some things in our lives that get in the way of our relationship with you. They keep us away. Perhaps it's our own understanding that lacks. Whatever it is, Lord, as we come before you in these next few minutes, if we don't know you, may we give our life to you. If we do know you, may we just allow you to search our hearts and see if there's something there that needs to be dealt with. So go quietly, just two or three minutes, go before the Lord quietly, and I'll come back up and close us in prayer.